Matt's Market Mindset Madness. Hey everyone, welcome. YOLO. That's all I gotta say. You only live once. I know that I've said this to myself quite a few times throughout life, and I believe most of the listeners have as well in various forms. You only live once. Pretty crazy. You know, it uh, means something to us um, much differently throughout the stages of our life. Um, I know that the younger I was, it definitely meant something way different. YOLO, you only live once. It's, I don't know, probably been around for a decade, but it's been around a lot longer than that. You know, before this thing, you know, hashtags, when they were called pound signs, when I was growing up in generations before us, uh, we didn't have YOLO. We had fuck it. <laughs> and that's usually what we said in those exact situations. You know, those situations where this pops up, it's usually when an opportunity presents itself. And uh, at that time, that opportunity aligns with that moment. And it really doesn't consider the future. And if anything, it's kind of flipping the bird off to the future and saying, I'm living for the moment. YOLO. It's, uh, it's amazing how that affects us when we, when we take that stance. It's like, it's liberating. It's like, wow, this is awesome. It's like a total dopamine strike. Me personally being ADHD, you know, anytime I can get dopamine through a natural release, it's something that I just, I, I radiate towards. So being young, my life was definitely full of YOLOs. <laughs> um, and then, you know, later in life, you know, you start thinking, you know, you're really considering what this is, what this life is and, you know, what YOLO represents. And I, I almost remember the exact time where it all changed. And, and it was right around um, when my child was born. And I started really realizing that, you know, when, when, we were making decisions, quick decisions. We were kind of living for the now and not really thinking of the future and, 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 and kind of taking things for granted, whether it be health, whether it be money, you know, all of that stuff, even mental wellness. Um, I think a lot of it was, uh, prefaced with YOLO. Um, and I know m many people say this to themselves in their heads. They say it out loud in celebration, <laughs> you know, uh, whether it's at the grocery store and you're like, oh, should I get this, um, you know, healthy salad or some ding dongs? <laughs> you say YOLO. Your friend calls you on a Monday night and says, hey, you want to go out to the bar tonight? And you're like, what's Monday night, Tuesday, I got a big week. YOLO. Um, and it's usually, you know, um, a decision that's made that is not the best decision and it kind of puts you in a, in a bad spot. Um, but when you're, you're, you're young or you're not really paying attention, it's, it's easy to say that it almost kind of turns into a crutch. Um, and I think a lot of people end up almost letting it turn into a, cr a crutch where I do think it's probably healthy to say YOLO here and there and, and do it and celebrate life. But when you're saying it, 36 times a day <laughs> you, you, you might be uh you might need to reconsider things so you know when when you speak to older people um, especially people that are you know that have experienced life um or know someone that has lost a parent that's you know at, at old age um you know that you you hear someone say that that 
you know, on that final stretch of life, uh, when reflecting upon your life, um, the most painful thing that you can have is regret. And it's not so much regret on the things that you did do, it's regret on the things you didn't do. And I think that list of things you didn't do would be a lot bigger if you didn't have YOLO in your life. Um, you know, it's a catalyst. It makes you do kind of some wild and crazy things, things that you wouldn't normally do. Um, I know that there's some of the best experiences that I've had in my life. I, 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 I said that before I made the decision to do it and I wouldn't change that in the world. But I also know there's probably 90% of the YOLOs in my life really were very self-serving. Um, and if anything, uh, me taking the path of least resistance, um, avoiding responsibility, um, discipline and such. And when I hit that stage where my child was born, it was like, I, I, I had some, some major anxiety, some of it probably self-induced anxiety. Um, but I remember thinking there like YOLO and it wasn't this like, yeah, I'm young, I'm invincible, only live once and boom. It was more like. I only have one life. Oh my God, I only have one body. Oh shit. And, and, it, and it just, it really started piling on where to the point I'm starting to think about like all the people that rely on me, whether it's my family, employees, coworkers, vendors, partners, all this stuff. And that by me taking this position and, and living for the moment and forgetting about the future, um, it's not really fair to myself and to these people that I've, I've kind of made commitment. I've have made commitments to. Um, and, and it really made me think about things. And at that point too, it was like, wow, you know, life is, you know, based on what this guy's, you know, that I've, I've heard in the past saying the same thing with this last stretch of life, you focus and you say, Hey, um, it's the, it's the regrets that, that get us. Um, it also made sense that, life is almost like a freaking sales job or a sports game where you're really only as good as your last month or your last sale or your last game, your last championship. And, and made me really start thinking that, man, this, this, this last chapter of my life is going to be one of the most defining, the most defining chapter of my life. And, and, that thought alone really brought up the word, the scary word, the word that you catch yourself saying and you go, holy shit, I'm, I am getting old. And that is retirement. <laughs> oh my God. And, uh, and, and, and it rings, it rings truer, truer than it's ever rung before when it makes sense. And you'll know when this is. So let us jump into YOLO retirement. Oh, so retirement is, you know, it, it means something different to everyone. I believe, you know, everyone has different goals. And I think a lot of those goals are based off of what you're calculating in life right now. And when you're thinking about retirement, first off, you know, it's all about, Hey, how much money am I going to have? How much disposable income am, am I going to have? What kind of lifestyle is this going to um, entail? And and then of course, as you get older, it, it gets a little bit more complex. You're like, oh man, I've got kids. They're going to have kids. What if they have issues and I need to take care of them? I need to have more money than I thought. College education. And then most recently the reality dose of inflation and you're going, oh my God, you know, this is, this is real. I, I need to think about this where as previous generations, you know, it's important, but I think a different mess, a different 
narrative was sold to them where retirement is something that they'd be able to kind of just rely upon social security and medicare and kind of sail off on this last chapter of margaritas and fun and it's it's bullshit and you can kind of look at a lot of you know not pooping on that generation or anything like that but there was one thing that was neglected and this is one of the two things that you know i think are most important in my life now that i've realized this and first being health okay i think health is is above and beyond all that it's beyond finance it's beyond the amount of, amount of money that you plan on when you retire because if you're unhealthy you're going to be spending all your money on pharmaceuticals hospital visits doctor visits you're going to spend that last piece of time feeling like shit um being very pessimistic um and and you might even become resentful of yourself and if you're not that aware obviously it's going to fall onto other people and that's super dangerous um so health i think is super key and then obviously finance um and finance is, is, is daunting, especially if you're not having this conversation with yourself until a little bit later in life and you're going, holy crap, what am I going to do now? Most people in, you know, that are of my age in their forties, um, or even in their thirties, when they're starting to think about retirement, they have 401ks, they're W2 employees. They've kind of been softly planning for this. Um, I, I think that you don't really realize what that number represents. No one really talks about that plan until you have to kind of take that initiative to do so yourself and answer those questions. And that's kind of what this podcast is. This episode is, is really kind of directing towards is just challenging yourself, challenging your, your thoughts, your ideas of what retirement is and, and what makes sense. Now, if you're self-employed, it's, it's a whole different story. I know that it was daunting to me because it was probably my late twenties. I was hanging out with an old, a, a friend that was older than me. He was in now in his early thirties and you know, we were talking about life and all this and he brought up his 401k and how he has like 80 grand in his 401k. And at that point in time, I was like, Whoa, um, shit. Like I don't have anything really in my retirement. I save some, but I'm not really saving a lot and I'm not really thinking about that. And this was years before I had kids and years before I was married and, but that seed was dropped and I, and I did start thinking about it. And for us being self-employed, it, it depends at what stage you start self-employment. If you're, if you started it in your twenties, you know, you're going to be ahead of the game. You're, you've already went through that first five years. If your business is still rolling of the real growth where honestly, those first years, you're not thinking about retirement you're pretty much almost in that YOLO state of mind where you're thinking of the now survival, um, you know, the 10,000 new things you learn a week <laughs> about being self-employed. And then finally getting to that mindset of self-employment where you're like, hey, okay, I can handle this. Um, I feel comfortable. I've now established. I know things are gonna be coming in consistently. I have money saved and such. And then you can kind of breathe and say, all right, well, let's look at the future. But even when you look at that, you're like, hey, what do I do? Oh, you know what I mean? How can I do this? And, in, and when you start doing t your, your taxes and you're talking to your accountant and you're making money, you know, the first thing as being self-employed that anyone's going to tell you is, hey, well, first off, if the industry that you're in allows you to structure it this way, which most do, is, you know, you want to set yourself up as an employee um, and then you're ultimately as the employer paying yourself and also being able to contribute as the employer towards a 401k. 
this is great because it's it's highly beneficial from a tax stance so if you haven't looked into that and you're at the stage of i would definitely encourage you to do so to at least get your mind moving and kind of um, absorbing some of these terms and some of these options because it's huge it's it's really going to I think not only set yourself up perfect for the future, but give you some new information that's going to give you confidence to even do better at your job. Um, and those around you um, are going to notice that confidence, um, especially your family. <laughs> um, so if you're now, I say you're W2 and you're like, hey, well, I know that my industry, I've got this fixed, pretty much a fixed income. I know that I'm going to be able to accelerate, probably make a little bit more each year, but I know there's a ceiling there. There's definitely a ceiling there. And if I want to go above what my planned 401k ending is, if I do this for another 20 years as a career, where am I going to be? And you might look at it and say, shit, um, I got to do something different, or I want a little bit more disposable income, or you know what? Hey, my job right now, I do have some extra time and, and maybe I can push myself a little bit further. And, and I think this is a huge opportunity. One, for obviously building your wealth in retirement. Two, if you're a W-2 employee, um, the second you start jumping into real estate as a retirement um, tool, um, this is gonna allow you to start an LLC, which is great um, from a tax stance because opening this LLC as a W-2, you are now going to be able to be Schedule C which is gonna allow you to be a lot more aggressive on your taxes. It's gonna teach you a lot more about taxes. It's gonna teach you a lot more about savings. Um, and, and I think it's gonna just really expand your mind. Um, and that doesn't even include all the stuff you're gonna learn about being a landlord. So that's, I think, like the mindset to have as far as where you're at with, if you do have 401k, if you're at that beginning stages of you know, um, being self-employed and saying, hey, what should I do? Now, jumping into the actual real estate portion of it and what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is buying real estate long-term. This isn't a speculative type, hey, where I'm talking about buying some real estate and getting rich quick. No, this isn't anything like that. This is the long-term. This is actually a grind. This isn't something that's all sparkly that you're gonna see that something on YouTube or Instagram or something like that, that's going to say, you can go buy a Lamborghini next week. No, this is about reality. This is about really setting yourself up to have some comfort and, and ultimately doing it in a way that all the ingredients are proven. They're proven through a lot of people and I've proven them myself by doing these things. And after reflecting on them, I've really realized this is a perfect situation for anyone to take advantage of because it is not super difficult. And if you are crossing your T's and dotting your I's in life and you are progressing forward, this is the perfect tool. So where I talk about this is ultimately buying real estate to rent out and to pay off and to hold. Now, this is something that I think is great because if, if you're planning on having some disposable income, but also planning on leaving something to your children, to your grandchildren, a legacy type investment, I also think real estate's beautiful because it's something that's gonna generate you cash. Um, typically right from when you start the investment today, um, all the way until you die. Um, and then you still have this huge asset that has some, you know, probably pure equity at that point if you haven't leveraged it. 
And that is something that you can pass on to your children, to your grandchildren, to whoever you want to pass it on to. And, and passing on this type of asset through a trust and such um, is going to be a lot easier to not pay taxes on and also structure things, um, how you want it to be handled um, by that person that's going to be receiving it. So the first best step is to say, where are you at? Do you own real estate? Do you own real estate? Um, if you don't own real estate, I think it's even better. Now, it's really going to depend on the ingredients of your life, where you're at, where you're at financially, and how you want to proceed. Um, and I think if you don't own real estate, it puts you in the perfect position to start off correctly. Now, the way that I proceeded was after having all this, these, these thoughts and these kind of revelations, especially when my child was born and saying, looking at my wife and saying, hey, we're self-employed. Yeah, we're doing this 401 contribution each year. We're kind of doing the, the, the minimum um, and if we look at the equilibrium of this and where we're at and when we want to retire, it's not going to give us as much as we probably want to feel secure. And that's when I said, you know what, what I really felt at that time was like, we need to plan to hold our houses. Um, I don't think we should ever sell real estate if we can't, you know what I mean? If, if we're in the opportunity that anytime we're stepping up to buy a new home and that's part of the plan is stepping up to buy another home we can get X number of homes and never sell them. And in 30 years, they'll all be paid off. They're going to create a huge, not huge, but a really nice chunk of change monthly coming in. This chunk of change that is going to be able to be not manipulated, but we'll say handled through a tax approach and what our income is at that, uh, that, that point. And we'll be able to have all this equity that we can leverage. Beauty of real estate is, is when you have equity in a home, you can take lines of credit on that and not pay capital gains on it and not pay penalties. Just the interest of that said loan that you're taking to take that money out. That's huge. You can use that on different investments. You can use that on different things at that stage of life. Um, so that's something extremely important to consider when you're creating this. Now, if you don't have real estate, it's like, all right, well, maybe this first home that I'm planning on buying, I don't buy just emotionally. I don't buy just based on having the my dream picket fence and my fireplace and all these little things that are your dream. No, I think it's important to have, you know, these emotional boxes checked off. You know, I want to be in this proximity of my work. I want to be, I don't want a single, I want a single story. Maybe I do really need a pool. Make sure that those boxes are checked because you got to enjoy life. YOLO. <laughs> But at the same time, you're going to want 60% of that to be more around the investment if you can. Find something that might be below your means that you're not having to put as much money down on. Um, something that you might say, hey, you know, I'm going to have to put some, some work into this. But that's good because may, maybe putting on a new roof and a new air conditioning unit is good because that's protecting your, your assets. So you know in the, in the coming years when that turns into a rental, these big ticket items aren't going to be a concern of yours. You're not going to be weighted by, you know, stress, that reactive stress on saying, oh shit, you know, I'm having financial difficulty and what if the roof goes and all this? No, let's approach this proactively. So by taking that approach of maybe structuring this purchase 60% off of what would be good for a rental is really now setting up that mindset. Now, if you already own real estate, that's great. You might be saying, hey, I'm really thinking about this. I got this house. I got a bunch of equity. I got a locked in low interest rate because I bought in the last five years and I maybe did a refi and I'm really thinking about adding real estate to my portfolio and I'm hesitant. 
This is perfect. You're in a great situation. Now, reason being is, is you've now locked in at a primary rate. It's not an investor rate. An investor rate is always going to be 1% higher than prime. So right now, you know, our prime, I believe 30, 30 year conventional is just under 6%. So it means you're going to be paying 7% or more if you were going to go buy a property as a rental, like, and, and you're not planning on living it at all. But the beauty is, is if you're already living in it or you buy it to live in it for a year and then turn it into a rental, you can buy it on that primary rate, baby. And you can buy that with less than 20% down as your primary residence. So you're in this position now that you're going to buy your first, you've got your first home, whether it be the home that you've bought as to be a rental or you're living in your home and you've just decided, you know what, I want this to be my rental. The next house that I'm going to buy or I'm going to look at, I'm going to keep my house. Well, you're going to run into a little bit of a hurdle. And this is the first hurdle that's going to help you learn. And this is like going to be the biggest gift that you can gain. Now, to be an accredited investor, you have to have two years of experience being a landlord. And what that means is the bank is going to look at you at that point in time, if you have that experience as an accredited investor, and they're going to be able to calculate that intended income that they'd be able to look at market rate and say, oh, you're going to get two grand a month for this rental. We see that. We're going to give that to you as your income. And you don't need to worry about justifying anything. And you put 20% down and sometimes even minimum, even less, you're golden. But if you're not an accredited investor, you either then need to have, you know, you're going to probably have to have a minimum of 20, 20% down if you're going to buy a property. Um, but if you're going to go buy your primary residence, which that's what we're talking about right now, that you're now saying, I'm going to turn this existing piece of property that I have into a rental and go buy a new primary residence. I'm going to step up a little bit with the hopes of then turning that one into a rental later on down the road and step up a little bit and keep doing that until you can get as many as you can in the portfolio. Now, to do that, they're going to say, hey, to, your lender is going to say to qualify for this new loan, A, you're going to have to show the income at your job to justify holding the mortgage that you currently have and qualifying for this new mortgage. Or you're going to have to show us a lease in place for your property that you have, showing that you're going to be getting this $2,000 a month income before you close on your new property and we will then give you that $2,000 a month towards your income. That's the best way to do it. That's awesome. And, and the, the best part about it in today's market in our super strong rental market, it's not hard. It is going to be more stressful. There are going to be more things to kind of juggle in that escrow period of when you're buying that new home. But I promise you, if you do the right research, if you Make sure that you're working with the right realtor. They're going to guide you through this whole thing. The catch is, is most realtors aren't going to talk you into this because they want to sell your home. They're not going to talk you into keeping your existing home. That's where you know us with Evo AZ, we, we totally take a different approach. We tell all of our sellers and ask them, have you considered this? Um, unless we know that they're like, no, they're like, there's some you know, circumstance that's not allowing them to rent the property. We can read between the lines. But if it's just something that you're hemming and hawing and you know that you're just like, hey, I'm just moving on and we're reading between the lines that you could probably make this an investment, we're going to challenge you with that and ask you, hey, have you considered this? Now, 
by having someone like on our side, they're going to, we're going to be able to walk you through everything that's going to be needed. Hey, we're going to want to make sure that, you know, we're prepped, um, to make sure that you have enough, you know, enough resources and income, um, and, and enough savings to purchase this new home. And then also not stress about maybe having a, a vacant property or having some vacancy here, um, for a little bit of, you know, about 30 days or so until you to move into the, to your new home. Um, you know, asking you the tough questions and making sure that you have enough money in, in, in an account to take care of any said issues that come up. Challenging you um, to, hey, make sure you have home warranties in place to set up for the tenant that's going to be moving in, which is a whole awesome way to cut back on any maintenance that pops up when you're a landlord. Um, having to deal with vendors coming in and scheduling with the tenant and all that. Home warranties are great. And we can, you know, definitely touch on that in future episodes or shoot me an email. I can tell you, um, and, um, ultimately then navigating the next steps in getting a lease in place and how to market your property, the best way to do it, whether we do it well, it's already staged, um, before you move out, or if you already move out, um, however best we need to fit whatever the lender's requiring of you as far as that lease goes and showing them to get the loan to buy the new home. Giving you all these steps and making sure that you have like almost this recipe to follow is going to take so much weight off your shoulders. If you're doing this yourself and you're trying to just not bounce this off anyone, you're probably going to get divorced <laughs> or at least lose all your hair or maybe have a heart attack there's going to be a lot that's going on because you're trying to figure this out while you're kind of juggling all these balls up in the air. Um, having a good lender on your side that's telling you exactly what you need to make sure the loans go smooth, smoothly and making sure that you've got a realtor on your side that's telling you exactly what needs to happen to make sure the transaction goes smoothly. Once it goes, it goes. It's good. It's, it's golden. You move out, move into your new house, the new tenant moves in, and everything smoothly progresses. Um, and then you're going to look back and you're going to say, holy shit, that really wasn't as hard as I thought it was. And your brain's going to expand immensely, not on, on a lot of senses, because now you're a landlord. You've got this responsibility. You're navigating these new fine lines of where's that business relationship and friend relationship that we have with our tenants to get us the best results in, you know, long lasting relationships, um, healthy tenant landlord relationships and, you know, mitigating stress and bullshit. Cause that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Um, and I can tell you that after you do this once and twice and you're doing it for the two years, it becomes second nature and you start to grow and you start to almost create this algorithm for your whole process. And it becomes pretty much automated where you then end up turning into turning this into what they call mailbox money, where you really look at the time and effort that you put into this investment and you say, wow, it's, it's calculated by hours in a yearly basis and I'm getting a nice check. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, cash flow, how are you going to cash flow in today's, today's, you know, high interest rates or, or anything like that. Well, if you got lower interest rates in the past, it's not going to apply. But what we really need to look at is what that cash flow is. I always try to tell people to have a minimum of, you know, 300, you know, it's between three and $500 as a minimum based on your situation as cash flow. The cash flow is going to be the difference of all your expenses that go into this rental property minus that would be, you know, if you're paying for, you know, a bug treatment, pool service, 
so on, landscaping, and then your mortgage taxes, HOA, and all that, minus from what you collect from rent. Whatever that net amount is, it should be hopefully within three and $500 as a minimum. But where a lot of people forget is you're also paying towards principal. There's a big chunk of that mortgage payment that's going to its principal, and that's savings, okay? And if you are not a disciplined person when it comes to saving, this is where it found it helped me even more and kind of helped that addiction of savings and focus on savings become. And that is, it's, it's, it's forcing you to do it. It's now you have no, you're, you're, you're in this and you're like, oh shit, I got to do this. The other beauty is, is there's ways to structure the old, um, um, 13, 13 mortgage payments in a year. So if you actually take your mortgage payment and you pretty much uh, divide that um, by, it's by 12, and you add one twelfth onto each mortgage payment monthly, that's gonna give you 13 mortgage payments inevitably paid, one extra mortgage payment paid a year. That will knock between four and six years of payments off the life of this loan. So this 30-year loan now is turning into a 25-year loan. So even if you're starting this off at 40 years old, you can realistically say, by the time I'm 65, I will literally have a, a house that's paid off, that's generating cash flow, and you know, and that's now part of my real estate portfolio. Not to mention if you're like, hey, I kind of want to accelerate this, I'm making some money, I don't want to shift some things around, and maybe I want to have two or three in the next five years. That's great. Maybe you're like, shit, the house that I'm about to turn into this, this rental now, I've only got you know 18 or 20 years left on paying it. Well, if you accelerate it, start paying more, dude, this thing could be paid off way less time. Not to mention the confidence you're gonna have now moving into this next property with the same mindset of that turning into a rental property. It's awesome, it works. The tax advantage is unbelievable, it's great. Um, and then the tangibility of this, of this investment is so powerful. It's huge. It's not, it's just not like a, your 401k and you're just, it's up to what the market does and all this. You can control things from many different aspects, whether it's you, yeah, I do want to sell it at a certain point in time, or I do want to take some equity out later on in life, or I just want to, I just want to flow on that cash flow and not worry about it. The other side of it is, 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 is what you learn, okay? This is where I think it's super powerful because of everything you learn of being a landlord, your mind does expand. You learn how to communicate with people differently. You learn how to play that kind of game of chess on how to kind of read people a little bit better when it comes to tenants and, and you know, you're gonna learn from your mistakes. Um, you're gonna learn how to be more rea um, proactive versus reactive with this investment and that will be applied to other fashions of life. The other side of it is if you do have children or you have other people in your life that can absorb what you're doing. And I know that it's, I, I find it so freaking cool, you know, when my eight-year-old, um, you know, absorbs this. He saw mom and dad now managing and going through these trials and tribulations of, of building this portfolio and what we had to do and him tagging along and seeing it. And now his brain is expanding on the purpose of this. Because he's now asking, why do we do this? What's the purpose of this? What are tenants? Well, who are these tenants? Um, and he's digesting it. So it's just something that I think is just so much bigger than the gift of, of the financial reward of it. I think it's mindset and, and this like whole mental level of like really up in your game. 
So I think YOLO <laughs> at this stage of life should really ring to retirement. And that's how I want to end it. So I really appreciate you guys tagging on, listening to this. Um, I always love anyone contributing what their thoughts, feelings are, any questions, reach out to me. Uh, make sure that you're sharing this to friends. Be a good friend. This, if this makes sense, if you're talking to a friend or family member that's navigating this, this, you've heard them say, I'm thinking about renting it, challenge them on it. Maybe you even can see them do it so you can learn from it. Um, do it together with them. It's, it's just there's so much opportunity in this. And, and, and make sure you like this and you subscribe. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for tagging along, and I will talk to you next time. Bye.